Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, is this enough? Is this sufficient? Do we need something more than what we have here in the Scriptures? Or does Revelation chapter 22 verses 18 and 19 apply not just to the book of Revelation, but to the entire Bible? This is what Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Does that apply to the whole Bible? That we ought to add nothing to it, nor take anything away from it? And the reformed answer to that question is yes. And the Reformed churches distinguished themselves from much of what is called Christianity with that simple answer, yes, this applies to the whole Scripture. The Reformation was not just a division of the church into two parts, but the Reformation was the division of the church into three parts. The Reformed went back and reformed their teaching, their doctrine, and their worship, and their life according to the Holy Scriptures— And that left the other two parts of the Reformation, the Roman church, which continued in the false teachings and the false doctrines of the Pope, and the radical Reformation on the other side, which were the Anabaptists and the precursors or the forefathers of much of evangelicalism today. And so on the one side, the the Roman church said, we need something beyond the Bible. There are the writings of great and holy men. There are ancient customs in the church. There are long-standing theological positions of the church. There is the Pope, and there are the bishops, and they are in the line of apostolic succession. The Pope is at the end of a line of men who have received ordination, the laying on of hands, going all the way back to Peter who they call the first pope. And the bishops, too, are in that line of apostolic succession. There are the great councils of the church with their decrees and their statutes. And all of these things, at times, and in certain circumstances, can be equal to, or sometimes even more important than the Scriptures. You see, the Roman church believes erroneously, in error, the Roman church believes that the the church produced the Bible, and therefore the church can add to or uh, put things next to the Scriptures. The Scripture itself is not sufficient. That's the one side of the Reformation. Then the other side is the radical Reformation, the Anabaptists. And just summing that up, basically their position was The letter kills, the spirit makes alive. We're done with religion. We're done with the institutional church. We are led by the Holy Spirit. And so, though the Bible is used and it is referred to and appreciated to some extent, in the end, the most important thing is what the spirit is saying to you. And that's not necessarily the same thing as the scripture. 
And so against the Roman church and against the radical Reformation, the Reformed churches, the churches of the Reformation, went to the Bible, and they recognized the principle which we know as sola scriptura, the, the scripture alone has authority in the church. And we saw that in Article 5 of the Belgian Confession, which we've considered together. It is the only authoritative word for the church, nothing else. And it's not just authoritative. It's not just that we say, well, yes, we'll take the Bible as, as the authoritative word of God, but then we want more authoritative words. We want God to speak from heaven directly. No, it is authoritative and it is sufficient. And that's the topic we're dealing with this afternoon. It is enough. It is complete. It is sufficient. We believe that this Holy Scripture fully contains the will of God. And that, all, and that all that man must believe in order to be saved is sufficiently taught therein. So this is divinely revealed doctrine. Further, the whole manner of worship which God requires of us is written in it at length. And so this has to do with God's divine revelation about our life. Our life of worship on Sundays, our lives as living sacrifices of worship every day of the week. The Bible is authoritative. The Bible is sufficient to teach us what God reveals to us for doctrine and life. It tells us what God wants us to know and believe. It tells us how God wants us to worship and live. This is the Word of God. It is the Word of Christ. This is what the Spirit said and is saying to the churches. This is the only infallible rule for faith and life, the Holy Scriptures. That's what we confess. Now, how do we get here? If you look at the, the progress of the articles in the Belgian Confession, you remember how it starts with Articles 1 and 2 talking about to know God is to know life, and, and we know God through his work of creation and providence. That's enough to leave us without excuse, but it's not enough to give us saving knowledge. To get a saving knowledge of God, we, we, need to, we need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. No one can come to the Father but through the Son. And no one can come to the Son but through the Word of Christ. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Romans chapter 10, faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. We need the word of Christ to know Christ, and we need to know Christ to know the Father and to know life eternal. And so God reveals Christ to us in the Scriptures. And as we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the Scriptures, in Him, through Him, we come to know the Father. And so you see the key here, the center of everything, just like the center of the universe. All things hold together in Christ in the universe, so all things hold together in Christ in history, and all things hold together in Christ in salvation, and all things hold together in Christ in the history of redemption and in Scripture as well. It all focuses on Christ. And so if you look at the Bible, and you look at the first part, the Old Testament, it's all about Christ. The Old Testament is saying over and over, Christ is coming. And the New Testament is saying, Christ has come. 
That's how you can summarize the scriptures. Christ is coming. Christ has come. And so in the New Testament, we learn in glorious detail about his person and his work. And so because we know Christ only through the scriptures, therefore the scriptures are the touchstone for our life. They are our only infallible canon or our only infallible rule for faith and life. They're not just writings with divine authority, as we saw in Article 4, but they are sufficient. We don't need any other revelation beyond this. And so what do we do when people don't get that? What do we do when church synods decide that the culture has changed and that the Spirit is leading us to a more developed understanding of things which the Scripture didn't get quite right, which maybe made sense in Paul's day, but we, we can't really accept it today. What happens when the church and its synods redefines the role of women in the special offices? Or the church, because it's embarrassed by the biblical position, redefines the Bible's teaching on marriage and sexuality? Well, when those things happen, the child of God, the faithful believer, just says, no, thank you. I'm not interested in that. I stand on the word of God, no matter what. And I will test the spirits to see whether they are from God. I will be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. Paul came to Berea. He preached the gospel, the word of God, the word of Christ. And you know what the Bereans did? They said, that's good. Let's just check that against the scriptures. They had the Old Testament scriptures and they, they scanned the scriptures. They studied the scriptures to see whether these things were so. They received the word with all eagerness and they, that eagerness showed itself in them examining the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. They used the scripture as a touchstone or as a canon. In fact, that is what every believer does. Whatever we hear from the greatest synods and the greatest councils and the greatest men of God with the most, uh, the, the most amount of study and the, the hugest amount of credentials, we listen to what they say and we compare it with the Holy Scripture. In fact, Paul tells us that even if an angel came down from heaven, we have to do that. Right now, if an angel came down and said, Pastor Ken, get out of the pulpit, I'm from heaven, you, I want to talk now. And if he started talking to us, we would grab our Bibles and we'll say, well, let's check and see if this is true or not. Because it, whatever he said would have to be in accordance with the Scripture. You remember we read that in Galatians chapter 1, 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed, anathema. If we have said before, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So if an angel came down and started teaching stuff that the Bible doesn't say, we'll say, sorry, angel, you're out of here. You, great, you're an angel, but what you're saying, we do not accept. You are anathema, and so is your message. And so we need to know 
the gospel. We need to compare everything we hear with the gospel that the apostles preached. That's what Paul tells us to do. Now, where can we find that? Where can we find the gospel that the apostles preached? Well, we find that in the scriptures. The scriptures is the written record of the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what the Lord Jesus said to the apostles, that I will send the Holy Spirit. He will bring to remembrance everything that I have taught you. And so that's what he did. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, they wrote down everything they had learned from the Lord Jesus. And so we have the apostolic teaching, the gospel, the word of Christ, our only infallible rule for faith and life. No matter what anyone says, this is our foundation. Now, what about the more Anabaptist way of looking at things? What if somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I've just had this revelation. The Spirit of God talked to me, and the Spirit of God told me that you have to do this or this, or you have to think this way or that way. How how are you supposed to respond to that? We have to understand, brothers and sisters, what the Scripture teaches. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, the apostle says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. On the foundation. Now, children... If you're going to build a skyscraper, where are you going to put the foundation? Are you going to put it underneath, or are you going to put it on the 18th floor? Where does the foundation go? Well, we know where the foundation goes. The foundation is what everything else is built on. And so when the Bible says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, then that means that we should expect that foundation to be underneath things, and not in the present day. We do not expect new revelations from modern-day apostles or prophets because that would be like looking for a foundation in the sky. In fact, it is impossible if somebody comes to you and says, "Ah, I'm I'm an apostle, and I have an apostolic word for you. Then we can look at them and say, well, you don't look 2,000 years old, because they probably don't. An apostle, by definition, is an eyewitness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If anybody says they're an apostle today, they're a liar. And we know who the father of lies is. But even if somebody comes and says, I'm a prophet, and I have a word from God for you, we'll say, okay, well, there are two possibilities. Whatever you say is already in the revelation of God, in which case you're not telling me anything new, or what you say is not in the scriptures, in which case I don't accept it because this is my only rule for faith and life. And so that's what the Scripture teaches us. It's not the decisions of church leaders or ecclesiastical assemblies, but it is the Scriptures. And it is not the false claims of new revelations in the Spirit, but it is the Scriptures. Now, as we surf around the internet and watch YouTube videos and, and, look at diff- and listen to different podcasts and other uh, sources of information and, and, and preaching and teaching, we do run across a lot of stuff which is not necessarily in line with the biblical and reformed understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture. So I want to spend a little bit more time before we get to the end of the sermon on that concept that we ought not to expect new revelations or prophecies today because it's embedded in the very scripture that we ought not to expect them. So 
We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for a moment. And I just want to read a few verses there. You remember in Corinth, the problem was that Paul had spent a, or that, that the apostles had spent quite a bit of time there. And, and wherever the apostles spent time, they would, they would lay their hands on people, the believers. And when they laid their hands on the believers, the believers would get the special gifts. Okay, that's how it worked. So that's another reason why we don't have the special gifts today, because there are no apostles around to lay on hands. But wherever the apostles had spent any significant amount of time, there would be lots of special gifts of the Spirit, and there were there in Corinth. The problem was, is that the Corinthians were so excited about these awesome, neat, different gifts that that's all they were thinking about. And so when they got together in church for worship, everyone would say, well, look at me, look at me, I've got this gift, I've got that gift. And everybody was vying for the limelight. And so Paul really tells them off, and he brings them to understand that their gifts must serve the edification of the body and that the highest gift is really love. And so he, you, you know the chapter, right? How it begins that if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. But I want to I pay attention to the end of this chapter. If you have your Bible open, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. I'm just going to read the last part of that chapter. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know, know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so Paul is speaking here about a time when the prophecies will have ceased, the tongue speaking will have stopped, and the knowledge, it will pass away. And when he speaks about knowledge, he's speaking about the gift of knowledge, where let's say the congregation was gathered, they didn't have the New Testament yet, and they had a question about how to do the Lord's Supper or this or that. And they would say, we don't know, because they didn't have the written scriptures as we have them. And so they would say, God, can you tell us? And then some, suddenly somebody would stand out and say, I have a word of knowledge from God. And this is what God wants us to do. And Paul says, those things are going to pass away. Now, when is he referring to? Now, a lot of us would read this and say, well, we know when that's going to happen. It's going to be when the Lord Jesus comes back, right? It's going to be in heaven and then all the prophecies and all those other things will pass away. But look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. Prophecies, tongues, and words of knowledge will pass away, but faith and hope and love will stay. Now, here's a problem. Well, it's not a problem. It's a beautiful thing. But here's a problem with the understanding that this refers to heaven. Can there be faith in heaven? Well, what is faith? You remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When we're in heaven, we will, our faith will have turned to sight. We will see the glory of God on the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no faith in heaven, and there's no hope in heaven, because we have it. We have it all together. 
And so when Paul says prophecies will go away and tongue speaking will go away and words of knowledge from the Holy Spirit will go away, but faith and hope and love will stay, he cannot be referring to the new heavens and the new earth. What is he referring to? Well, he's referring, look at verse 10, to when the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, that word perfect, do you see it there in verse 10? That word perfect has the meaning of complete, full, fulfilled, complete. It is connected to the word that Jesus spoke on the cross when he said, it is finished. And he was talking about his work of redemption. It is completed. And so Paul is saying that at a time before heaven, a time before the Lord Jesus comes back, prophecies will be gone, tongues will be gone, words of knowledge will be gone, because we'll have something that will be complete. And so these partial things we don't need anymore. Well, what's he referring to? Well, we need to understand again that the early church didn't have the New Testament. And so what they had was a patchwork of special revelations and words of knowledge and and prophecies. And that might sound very exciting. Imagine we had a question, should the women vote or not in the elections? And say, well, Lord, can you give us an answer? And somebody, somebody stands up and says, I have a word from God. And we have the answer. Wouldn't that be awesome? But the problem is, is that every church had different questions and, and, and you would have to basically be content, content with just a little bit of revelation here and a little bit of revelation there. It wasn't shared by the church Catholics. It was a patchwork of special revelations, of words of knowledge, and of prophecies. But slowly but surely that changed. As the Spirit of Christ inspired the apostles to write down the teaching of Christ we get to the point where more and more the full revelation of Christ took shape until we have it now in our hands. And it is perfect. It's not partial. It is complete. It is finished. We don't need to ask for special revelations because we have the word of Christ near us. We have it in our hands. We have it in our mouths. We have it in our hearts. And so, if somebody comes along to us and says, the Holy Spirit's telling me this and that. The Holy Spirit's telling me that you've got to do this or you've got to do that. Well, we know how to deal with that, right? We talked about that already. We'll say, well, is that in the Scripture? In which case, you're not telling me anything new. If it's not in the Scripture, I don't want to hear it. Because I go by the Word of God. And if you're coming with something else then I will not receive you into my house, which also means I'm not going to stream you into my house for YouTube, and I'm not going to give you any greeting. So brothers and sisters, we need to be real careful. We need to understand that in much of what calls itself Christianity, there is no understanding of this biblical principle of the sufficiency of Scripture. And we see it in the books we read, and whether it's the, the, um, the fiction or the nonfiction, We see it in a lot of the teaching out there on the internet, and we need to be very, very aware of that, that we are distinguished from the Romanists and from the Anabaptists in holding to the sufficiency of Scripture. And so here's the question, is this enough, or do we need something more? Well, we've said it over and over, the Scriptures are our only 
infallible rule for faith and life. Every page declares and reveals Christ to us. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit reveals to us the need for Christ and the prophecies and the preparations for the coming of Christ. And in the New Testament, the Spirit reveals to us the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The Scripture teaches us, the Spirit teaches us about the person of Christ and the work of Christ and the great and glorious, mighty acts of redemption that God worked through Him. And so we have here the Spirit-inspired prophetic and apostolic record of the teaching of Christ. This is the whole and complete, perfect, finished, completely sufficient Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. We neither seek nor want nor need any other teaching or revelation because long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so when we're confused, when we've got questions about how to go, how to live our lives and which way to go, here God reveals Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And when things are dark and we're down, and we're depressed, and, and we just feel that there's no way out. Here, in the Scriptures, God reveals to us Christ, the light of the world. And when we are weary and heavy laden, as we heard this morning from our brother Falston, then here, God reveals Christ, who gives us rest for our souls. Are we crushed by guilt, oppressed by a sense of sinfulness? Then here, God reveals Christ to us, Christ delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification. God reveals Christ to us in the Word, and Christ is all we need. Therefore, the Word is sufficient. You remember what I've been saying a whole bunch of times, kids? The Scriptures are our only infallible rule for faith and life. This is the complete and final word of God. It is all we need. It is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It is the voice of the good shepherd. It leads us and it guides us towards eternity, towards heaven, towards the day when the Bible will no longer be necessary. For we shall see the word of God face to face when we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen.